Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, today we're talking to Will Collins. Will was back on the show in 20... Gosh, I can't even remember, but it, it's in the show notes. He was on to talk about his through paddle of the Mississippi River, paddling the whole length of the Mississippi River, which was amazing. Uh, and today he, uh, in my opinion, he one-upped himself by through paddling uh, the entire Yukon River all through Canada uh, in Alaska, and if you know anything about the Yukon River, man, it is it is way out there, and you were in some wilderness, uh, maybe some of the most remote places in the north in North America, which is uh, pretty amazing. So, totally different experience in a lot of ways uh, than the Mississippi River, but I'm sure similar in some. But we get into it. Uh, Will is awesome, and if you don't know, he hosts the show Buffalo Roamer. Um, and that show is similar to ours, actually, interviewing really interesting people doing interesting adventures all over the world. So check that out, Buffalo Roamer. And I'm actually going to be on that show soon. I'm not sure how it lines up with this one. Maybe you're tired of my stories, so I, I'm not going to take that personally. But uh, Will was awesome to talk to. Great conversation. Um, and just love what he's doing in this world. So um, in, in this adventure scene, in this adventure world. So uh, before we jump in, too, uh, today is the last day uh, to check out... Actually, no, it's the first day to check out Journey to 100 virtually. If you have heard anything about this new documentary that Athletic Brewing made, by the way, that's where I work, uh, about a, a former guest on the show, Jason Hardrath, we made a documentary about his journey to 100 fastest known times. Uh, and that is actually coming out today uh, on YouTube and it's also going to be available, I think, tomorrow on Outside TV, which is Outside Magazine's like TV platform thing. Uh, so if you're at all on any of those platforms, you'll be able to see it uh, tonight at 8 p.m. on YouTube, on Athletic Brewing's YouTube channel. Check it out. There is a link in the show notes if you want to learn more. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and jump into Will's story. And thanks for tuning in. Uh, Will Collins, welcome to the show, and yeah, happy to have you back on after a few years. How you doing? Yeah, absolutely, Mason. Uh, yeah, it's great to great to reconnect, and uh, looking forward to being on the show. As I was saying, I like uh, listening to the to the episodes, and uh, yeah, good to reconnect. And with me having my own podcast, uh, the Buffalo Roamer podcast, now as well, uh, and still doing adventures good as time as any to uh to talk about adventures and rivers and uh all kinds of fun stuff right yeah man absolutely so so we had you on back in 20 oh before i start that where are you coming from today that's the first question i always like to ask so i'm in a small closet uh on the on the uh, second floor of a small farmhouse uh here in northern illinois which is where i live and uh and run a farm here do you really wow Run a farm. How, what, yeah. Tell us about the farm. What's all going on with that? Oh, the farm's great. Yeah. So it's uh, my family's farm here and we have uh, pigs. We raise market hogs. So if you go to the grocery store uh, and grab a package of bacon, um, that's the type of stuff that uh, we produce. So we raise the pigs and then we sell them at market weight uh, to the butcher who then processes them. And yeah, and then we also have a bunch of corn and soybean as well. No kidding. Wow, that's a, uh, I raised a couple hogs growing up. Well, an individual, you know, like sure. as an FFA, if you've ever heard of that. And uh, oh, yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, uh, and, and it was heartbreaking, man. I had to sell my hogs and the money was nice. It actually helped pay for, for my first apartment when I left, but, um, oh, that's awesome. But yeah, it, it really yeah, sucked having to say bye to old Ringo and Tusk. If you're, if you're yeah. out there somewhere, sorry, buddies. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it and, uh, yeah, I like what we do and it's, it's fun and it's always different. I, I work outside, so that's, uh, always enjoyable and fixing stuff and trying to fix problems. So yeah, it's, I, I like doing it. And now, Will, you, uh, you know, you're in an area that maybe kind of like me where people aren't, 
they, they don't think of it as the first location for an adventurer to live. Are you like a like an outsider with with? The, are you the, like the black sheep of the family in a way? It's like this it's crazy funny, dude. Uh, it's funny, Mason. I feel like I've come full circle. To be honest, uh, I bounced around. So I grew up here in uh, in Illinois. Then I bounced around after high school. I went out west to college in uh, in, yep, Boulder, in Colorado. Boulder, that's right. And then um, I from there I was in South Dakota for three years, um, working in radio. And then I went to Montana and then I, I so I did the Mississippi trip, uh, which was 103 days canoeing the Mississippi when I was in, uh, South Dakota. And then I left South Dakota and did the Yukon trip, which, uh, we're going to get into today, uh, across Alaska. Um, and after that trip came back and I was in Montana for just a, short little bit, year and a half, two years. And then just the past couple of years, I've been back here in Illinois. But uh, with that, it's come like full circle, right? When I was out of Illinois, I was all gung-ho about um, being in the mountains and I love the mountains. But uh, now I've kind of settled in back in the Midwest where it's like, yeah, I don't really have to not brag, but sometimes some towns in the West can be a little pretentious about their outdoor sports. And uh I'm happy in the Midwest and it's a little more content and, uh, you know, it's not really boasty and, uh, there's a lot of awesome rivers and low key, uh, great spots to go to. So yeah, I I like it, man. You know, Will, this is so perfect for our show because we constantly preach, um, you don't have to be in a boulder or in a Bozeman or Flagstaff or, or somewhere like that, a, you know, Sacramento or something where people are, have this, you know, really close proximity to these amazing places. It's awesome to be there, but you don't have to be there to be a true adventurer and to do amazing things. Um, you don't have to feel discontent about that. I live in the South and I'll be honest. I, my wife and I like side eye each other all the time thinking like, yeah, I think we made the right decision here because it's, like you said, it's not boastful. Everyone you run into was a former Olympic athlete. You know what I mean? Just (laughs) everyone going down the trail in Boulder is some incredible athlete. It's a little bit daunting to try to find your way, you know? It's kind of hard to like, I I feel like where you are now might allow for some room to dream a little bigger, uh, funny enough. Just, yeah, uh, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And, and I have the same feelings. And also, uh, I think no matter where you are, at, at least I hope even in some cities, you can get out like in Chicago, which is not far from me, you could still get out uh, to some wilderness areas, but you just have to look a little harder. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of awesome rivers uh, around here that I love to get out and paddle. Um, yeah. So yeah, and, and I feel like they're underused. So exactly, sense. you kind of get it to yourself, which is an adventure in itself. You know, here in the Florida, quote, Florida wilderness, there's plenty of it. And I, and I tell people like in Colorado, I felt invited into the outdoors because the culture, the search and rescue, the trail systems, the the, the, the maps that existed here, it's like, I freaking dare you to come out here. It's a little more hardcore <laughs> in a lot of ways. And it's like, dang, Absolutely. this is, this is a real adventure trying to get, yeah, nobody, trying to get out in the swamp. Yeah. Nobody's coming. If, uh, if something happens, no, they're <laughs> like search and rescue. Knows. We'll call <laughs> yeah, Bill. Exactly. He'll come with his dogs looking for you, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, yeah. well, Will, what, what did you, before we jump into UConn, I want to know what, what did you do in radio? Cause when I was listening to the story, of you being on the show the last time I was getting ready, just listening to, you know, who you are and just more about it. Cause I remember hearing the podcast originally, but I needed a refresher. And I was, the first thing I thought was like, man, this guy's voice is great. What did you do in radio? And, and are you still at all involved in that? Or is it just transitioned into the, uh, the podcast? Yeah, it's just transitioned into the podcast. Um, but I, when I was in Boulder in school, I uh, studied journalism and broadcast journalism specifically. And I wanted to be a play-by-play, like a sports broadcast announcer. Um, my two loves always, I guess, were uh, the outdoors and sports. And growing up as a kid, I guess it was uh, more tilted towards sports than the outdoors. The outdoors was always still there. but And then as I got older, I think it shifted more towards the outdoors and away from sports, uh, maybe in part because I worked in it in the sports for a little bit. But yeah, and so in school, I studied journalism, and then I worked uh, at a radio station in Denver at 850 KOA. Um, I got hooked up with a couple guys there, Andy Lindahl and uh, Mark Johnson, who were kind of two of my mentors. Uh, they were 
broadcasters at uh, at KOA. So I was a uh, sports talk producer. I produced a sports talk show with Andy Lindahl there in the evenings on 850 KOA. And then from there, I moved to South Dakota, which is why I moved to South Dakota for a job. And I took a uh, on-air job doing country music, a country radio station, like hot country and play-by-play, which was the part that I, the reason I took it, I did uh, all the local high school sports within the area in South Dakota. I did that for about three years before, yeah, deciding to kind of move on. Wow, man. High, high school sports. Is there a sport of, uh, you particularly enjoy covering play-by-play? Oh, play by play. I really actually do like basketball because the way the game flows, it's uh, quick and just kind of always going. But I prefer to watch football for sure. I love football. And the cool thing about uh, South Dakota, I didn't know anything about South Dakota before I moved there. But uh, A, it's an outdoorsman's paradise, uh, especially if you like to hunt and fish. There's like no better place to be than South Dakota, which I found out when I was there. Also, as far as the job when I was there, People in South Dakota, they don't have, there's no NFL. The major college team is like South Dakota State and South Dakota, which is, uh, you know, one double A division two. So high school sports there are big. So everybody listens to the games on Friday nights or goes to the games. And like, if you go to the bar at the weekend and like saddle up for a cold one, the guy next to you is probably talking about like the Watertown Arrows, the high school team, rather than, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, which is, which is great for, uh, it's cool for community and also obviously for my job, which was calling games. That is so interesting, Will. Holy cow. I did, I did, I did not know that. Dang, man, we've got a lot in common. I love basketball and uh, high school too. My wife goes uh, teaches at a very prominent high school with a, one of the best teams in the nation. So it's like being cool. NBA courtside every every week when I get to go to games. <laughs> yeah, All these awesome. dudes are going pro and or at least D1. And it's like... I love that. I love having that aspect. Let me, you know, this is, I can take this off the record, but dude, ever since moving away from the West, I feel like my life's more well-rounded. You know what I mean? Like there's more balance with things, other interests, like basketball is actually one of my big uh, interests. Um, Other sports, uh, family, just a little more, it's not like extreme with awesome jagged mountains everywhere and, and, and being up in the mountains every weekend, but it's it's like more balanced with other great aspects of life. So nothing's extreme anymore, but everything's weirdly better. That makes sense. I I, uh, I completely agree, man. I, I uh, yeah, I, I we share the same sentiment there, man. It's I really like the Midwest and uh, and for you the South, but yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's like you know there, there can be a little bit, especially in these hot spot towns. Like I was in Bozeman and uh, you know a few other Boulder, a few other places, and you know there's like a buzz about being the biggest, baddest mountain climber or angler or uh, trail runner or whatever. Whereas it's nice just to be able to do whatever you. I don't know, have the space, I guess, to feel like you can, you know, just float down the river or, yeah, there's just no pretentiousness about the outdoors yeah. uh, um, and around here. And yeah, I, I completely agree, man. I, I really like it. That's awesome, man. And, and it hasn't kept you from dreaming big, that's for sure. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, yeah, I, no I want to get it. into, you know, we last time we talked, and I'm going to obviously tell people like, here's, because your last episode was two parts. Uh, it was so long and, and it's, um, just awesome. Like that's a such a bucket list item for our community is the Mississippi River. But there's one I want to focus on this time, which is the Yukon, which you did later that year. We had John, I think we interviewed you in December of 2017, and then the episodes came out right at the new year. And then <laughs> later that year, you went down the the, the 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 Yukon River. Can you tell us like what made you think of that and how you started preparing for that and kind of what led to those plans? Yeah, absolutely, man. Just talking about it, I have like a big smile on my face because they're <laughs> just an amazing trip. So the uh, the way the Yukon came to be basically is when I was on the Mississippi, I did the Mississippi trip solo and um, just like a little refresher, it was 103 days, uh, 2,400 uh, miles more or less. And uh, I did that one solo. And one day when I was on the river, I was, I don't know, it was maybe like day 80 or something like that. And I was just having such a blast. Uh, I texted my buddy Jackson, uh, who I ended up doing the Yukon with. And I was like, Hey man, 
we got to paddle a big river together. Uh, this is amazing. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he's crazy enough that uh, he was like, sweet, let's do it. He just happened to work out in his life where, you know, he could take a couple chunks off uh, um, to, to do it. And I really couldn't because I had taken a leave of absence from the radio gig in South Dakota to come back and keep working at the radio. So I had already like worn everything thin, uh, asking to go for a hundred days on the Mississippi and still come back. Um, but I went back and worked for a little bit and was like, you know what? I think the Yukon's calling my name. Um, and I was kind of ready to shift careers, I guess. Anyway, I wouldn't have done it without Jackson. That's for sure. Jackson, like kind of kept my foot to the fire when we were talking, like in the build up to preparation for the trip, you know, it'd be like, all right, we're going, um, you know, kind of like half-heartedly like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll go. But yeah, push came to shove. And I kind of knew like deep in my gut, it was something that I wanted to do. It was like a wilder experience. Uh, at least I thought going in into it, then the Mississippi is like the Yukon river. Uh, it's the third largest river in North America, third or fourth, uh, second, I think, or third in uh, America. The Mackenzie is the only one in Canada that's longer. So it's really big, really raw and remote. It traverses Alaska. It starts in Canada and Whitehorse and then cuts. Uh, again, it's almost like, I, I forget the exact mileage, but it's somewhere around 2,400 miles as well. Uh, and it basically bisects Alaska, north and south. It's the biggest watershed of Alaska and dumps into the Bering Sea. And yeah, basically, I just knew in my gut that it was going to be epic and awesome, and I really kind of had to do it. So I made preparations to leave uh, my gig in South Dakota and moved all my stuff to a storage unit in Bozeman, which is where Jackson was based out of. And we basically, uh, for like a week or two, we staged everything in Bozeman, um, all of our gear and such and provisions and packed up the boat and threw it on top of his old uh, Jeep Wrangler and drew, drove like 35 hours north uh, to Whitehorse, which is a ways north when you're already going from Montana. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I once biked uh, from Fairbanks back to my house here. Oh, geez. And uh, so... You became very familiar with the Alcan, but you, so, so your, your initial to get to the source of the Yukon, like where did you start right at the, the headwaters? So we, didn't, we, we didn't actually start at the source and we, we met some people since and, and on that trip, definitely not a common trip, but people do do it. We met some folks who started at the headwaters. It starts in like some glacial lakes south, ironically, it's, it runs north for the first few miles, but uh, south of Whitehorse in the Yukon territory. And they're, they're like, crystal clear alpine uh like glacial runoff turquoise color lakes and then it starts right after the the actual river like the named river on the map starts when it leaves marsh lake is the name of the lake and that's where it becomes the yukon river and uh that's where we started which is just right near uh yeah the town of Whitehorse, which is like, I think 25,000 people or something, the capital of the Yukon Territory. Oh, yeah. I remember getting a Whitehorse and seeing our first subway and therefore our <laughs> first uh, vegetables on the whole trip. Uh, so we were like, God, please, I to get funny. a sub. And it's like all $5 footlongs because this was like 10 years ago. And it's like, yeah. nah, it's like $10 footlongs because everything's so freaking expensive up there. Yeah, um, you got like two-week-old lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. It wasn't fresh. It was not the Subway eat fresh that we were uh, that we were used to. And they, they, they're usually not that fresh anyway, you know, so it was even worse. Um, well, dude, Whitehorse, what an adventure. So so you, it was like a 35-hour drive just to get there. That feels like an adventure in itself. Did anything go wrong in the, in the prep and how, you know, you had just done the Mississippi River. So I, I'm sure you were feeling pretty confident in your abilities to paddle long distances. But what were some of the key differences between the Mississippi and the Yukon um, that you were maybe apprehensive about or maybe just needed to consider a little more. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. 
Yeah, great questions, and I'm glad you asked about the drive uh, because it's often over overlooked. That, that's an and, adventure, uh, man. <laughs> it is, yeah, man. It was, and uh, also it's fun to uh, to talk with you about the trip because, yeah, on my podcast, the you know Buffalo Roamer podcast, I'm always talking, and I'm, we're gonna have you on, so I'm excited to turn the tables on you too and talk about your bike trip and all your cool stuff. But it's fun to talk about my stuff for for a change, you know. I, I, it's so fun to be on that side of the mic, so. Yeah, Tear yeah, it's it good up. to have the memories. Yes. Um, but but on the trip up, so this was somewhere I forget exactly where we were, but uh, we were far north in Canada, and we were driving Jackson's Jeep, and of course uh, I was a rookie and not really uh, adept with the stick shift. Now now since being on the farm, you know, <laughs> I'm all good. But at that point I wasn't, and uh, we were driving in the middle of the night. It was like two a.m. or so because we were going straight through the night. Two moose flash out in the middle of the road uh, on this like middle of the nowhere two lane highway in Canada. And I think I slam on the brakes. The car is still in gear and I like swerve and it's a mama moose, a big mama moose with a calf uh, chasing her across the road. And I swerved and just like a tiny little thud. And the car, meanwhile, like I said, I haven't taken it out of gear. So it's, you know, it's like, uh, like punching forward. It's like jerking forward. He's like, take it out of gear. So I stopped the car and we get back and look and there's just like the tiniest amount of hair on like the front left side of the bumper. We had like skimmed uh, the rear end basically of this uh, moose calf and the moose calf was like down on the side of the road and the mom was like pacing back and forth. Luckily, everything was fine. No damage to the car. The calf was still alive. We like watched her for a little bit and she kind of got up and whimpered away. But yeah, it was gnarly. We were, we thought the trip was about to end right there, you know, like a few more inches to the left and uh, either of those moose through the windshield would not have, not have been good. Oh my gosh. That is, that is wild. Yeah, because people, if you don't realize, moose are like, their backs are like 10 feet tall. It's like, imagine a horse on three foot stilts on all four legs. It's like you take their legs out. Unfortunately, how vehicles are designed in the body that, you know, 1500 pound body, thousand pound body just falls right on top of the car, right through the windshield oftentimes. So yeah, that would have been devastating to your, to your plans. (laughs) Yeah. absolutely, And to the moose, unfortunately. Yeah. Luckily crisis averted. And uh, so yeah, we, we kept trucking on and uh, anyway, but onto the second part of your question, uh, the Mississippi versus the Yukon. Yeah. Like you said, I think I was feeling pretty confident. Jackson, we actually just talked about it not that long ago. um, And Jackson looking back was, you know, more apprehensive a little bit, understandably, because he hadn't, we'd done all kinds of camping trips together, but uh, we hadn't, you know, obviously done a massive trip like this. So I think uh, I was a little, I don't think I was apprehensive about the like wilderness aspect because it's like rural, raw in the bush, Alaska. Like you're out there, like, you know, there's moments where you're 800 miles from the nearest road. Um, and so you're out there alone. I think that was like a little intimidating, but more exciting. Probably the bear stuff was a little worrying. Um, I think when I was preparing, I was planning on bringing a firearm, but then Canada is super strict with, uh, with firearms and we started in Canada. So I was like, ah, we'll just go with the bear spray and, uh, you know, things worked out, but, uh, in the planning stages, I think I was like a little apprehensive about that aspect of it. Just being in like thick grizzly bear territory. Like the thickest grizzly bear territory (laughs) you (laughs) could imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And we saw, we saw plenty of them, uh, you know, a couple close and not close encounters, but a couple cool encounters. And yeah, it's definitely a wild place. That's for sure. What, kind of i mean you you mentioned being 800 miles from a road that is inconceivable to a lot of i mean the, that distance from where i am right now is like to washington dc or something yeah, it's insane a long ways, man. what were you planning on the how long the adventure taking and did you have you had a, you had a canoe because you can take a bunch of stuff how, how much were you pre-packing and how much uh, were you relying on caches and um resupply so we thought that the trip was going to take around 70 days, which ironically, I think it uh, hit the nail on the head of 70 days. Not necessarily planning that way, just uh, work, worked out, I guess. Um, so it took 70 days and 
that 800 mile number, I feel like that's right too. I know it's a long ways, but don't maybe don't go, go uh, you know, with your measuring stick and check. I don't know, but uh, we, we're out there, that's for sure. So we started in Whitehorse with a bunch of provisions. Like you said, we had one canoe, there was two of us. The canoe was like loaded to the brim, almost like taking on water when we started. Um, and we had like a big blue, I don't know if you've ever seen those. Uh, I guess bear barrels, they're, they're often using canoeing. They're like big blue barrels that you store all your food in. Um, so we had one of those packed to the brim, obviously all the camping provisions and stuff like that. Uh, and we planned, I believe it was three resupplies. Uh, we had like read and in our research that you could like send uh, food ahead to some of these villages uh, along the river and they would hold them for you. Um, so Jackson had a contact who lived in Alaska and kind of gave us the update on like what, what villages were the main hubs uh, of the Yukon. And so, yeah, we sent, I think it was three resupplies uh, to villages that we picked up along the way. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at a map of this right now, Will. You guys are so out there. I mean, yeah, man. so out there. It's the middle of nowhere, and uh, the coolest part was I thought like the Mississippi was all about the people and the river and like the history of America and uh, yeah, all these river towns and stuff. And I really thought that uh, the Yukon was going to be all about the wilderness, which it was, and like the you know just being in the middle of the bush, like in the middle of nowhere, um, in the interior of Alaska. But it also turned out to be all about the people. Uh, along the way as well like we ran into so many of these native villages that were just like awesome and like amazingly accepting uh still like so like basically living off of the land uh, you know catching all of their salmon to provide them and their like dog teams with food throughout the winter um you know hunting moose they have electricity some of them don't have plumbing and just seeing these communities along the way that was amazing and awesome too and also i think kind of wild yeah it was, it was it was great that's awesome to hear you know we we that, that was one of my questions was how how accepting were people and how often you saw people but i do want to know compared to the mississippi which great great uh feedback there like being a historical experience i can totally see that and how it just it shaped america i mean it's such an iconic river here um yukon is as well for different reasons just being wild and big and uh, way up there what did you have to prepare for as far as water skills were there tons of rapids that you needed to get ready with? like did, what did you know about that going in and how did that compare to the mississippi basically we knew very little man we were just kind of uh we we had like a uh there is one guidebook. Uh, I think it's called Paddling the Yukon and its Tributaries. And it's one, uh, dare I say, badass dude who has paddled uh, the Yukon and, as the title says, like all of its tributaries through paddled them. Um, you should get that guy on. He's, I forget his name, Dan McLean or something. But it's insane. Uh, yeah, he's, he's gnarly and, and amazing. So he has this guidebook. Um, so there was one guidebook to the river, but it's pretty sparse and it's more of like logistics, kind of like I said, like which villages to send resupplies to and kind of bare bones stuff like that. Super helpful. But we, we really didn't know much going in. Honestly, we just kind of like drove up there and figured that uh, we were going to start and just make it happen and try and, you know, finish at the Bering Sea. The, as far as the water and skill wise, it's it's a lot like the Mississippi in, in terms of it's just a really big river. It's like really big, slow rolling. There's one set of rapids uh, in the beginning in Canada called Five Finger Rapids. Uh, the name is more intimidating than the water. But other than that, it's just big, slow rolling. But it's like, you know, the, the, towards the end of the river, it could be like four or five miles wide uh, at places or wider. And so that's like, you know, massive open water crossing. So the wind comes into play and uh, there's all these side channels and uh, sloughs uh, as far as navigation and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing river, but I think the easiest way to describe it, it's a big river, man. It's a bit big water. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it on the map and, how did you navigate all the braidedness, if that's a word, yes, of the river? If people have never seen, uh, go look at that. A braided river is such an interesting thing to look at. How did you How did you choose the path to take? 
Yeah. So there's like, there's, I, I kind of think the river, the Yukon had like three distinct sections. There's the beginning section, which is in uh, Canada mostly. And it's like a glacial runoff. The water is super turquoise, really clear, amazingly beautiful, super raw and remote. Uh, the whole thing is, but that part in particular too. Uh, and then after that, it kind of goes into, uh, you enter into, into Alaska, into the U S near Eagle, Alaska. And it kind of, uh, forms into one big channel, one big river, like you would think of on the Mississippi. And then, uh, it gets to a section that you're talking about called the Yukon flats. And that area uh, near Fort Yukon, uh, the village there is super braided, man. It's like, yeah, so many intertwining and interwining fingers, uh, super wide, all of these islands, really awesome. Um, and it's a notorious area for people to get lost but I don't know. Luckily, Jackson and I, we uh, we didn't have any issues navigation wise through there. We just kind of maybe that in part comes to experience. I don't know. But we just, you know, follow the main channel and, and try and follow the fastest moving water. Um, I think we, we we had to like drag our boat over some dead water and, and sandbars a couple times, but nothing too bad. Um, yeah, we just kind of pointed it down river and, and went through the uh, the maze. Wow. What, what you say you came across these towns and some folks that were living out there, these villages, what did people think about your, uh, your adventure? Cause I'm sure they were asking. <laughs> oh yeah. Most people thought we were crazy. Uh, of course, but they were also intrigued, you know, it's like, you know, these two, you know, <laughs> these two white boys floating down in a canoe in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, pulling up on these, uh, towns and villages and, you know, most of these places are like super removed, not, not super removed, but, you know, I don't want to make it seem like it's uh, middle of nowhere, but it is the middle of nowhere. And, you know, they don't have these towns run off of generators. Uh, a lot of them don't have plumbing. Um, nicest, coolest people, though. And uh, their cultures are still like really thriving um, with all the elders. And, and we had some awesome experiences uh uh, being welcomed into a uh, memorial service in one of the villages, which was just like a crazy uh, different experience than you would think of in a memorial service here in America, or not in America, but uh, down in, in, you know, the lower 48. And uh, yeah, it, they, they loved us, man. And we loved them. They were the nicest, nicest, kindest folk. Uh, we would float up and they would be like, where are you headed? And we're like, to the Bering Sea, and they're like, oh, that's a long way. Um, you know, and, and it's it's interesting, the same as on the Mississippi, is that everybody's, like, familiar with their little section of river, but, you know, these folk don't travel 2,000 miles up and down the river, so they don't really know what's around, like, the next couple villages down. They've heard stories, but most folks haven't really traveled that far, so it's funny hearing people say like what's going to be coming up like oh you want to stay away from this place those people aren't good or oh you know watch out for this or that and then of course you paddle and it's it's totally different than <laughs> than what they warned Dude. about but yeah it was it was it was awesome man and the kindest people uh we ate all kinds of fresh salmon um moose uh yeah all, you, you name it man and uh it, it was it was awesome dude that is that is amazing i yeah there's there's Locals are awesome. Don't trust their directions, surprisingly, or their yes, words of exactly. advice. Oftentimes, it's like I was doing a trip on a river recently in Florida, and people are like, "Oh, gators are going to eat you out there," and I'm thinking, "No, they're not." Like, have you ever <laughs> been out there? Like, they they, yeah. they avoid you like the plague. Like, it, it, it's it can be similar exactly when you're right there in the elements. But man, we had a guy on a few months ago, Luke Mel. He is legendary in Alaska. He grew up in a small, very small village along, it might've been, it was McGrath. I don't know if that's along. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Yukon or not. No, no, but it's, uh, I know of it. It's like a legendary, uh, mountaineering town, I think, right? He's from there, grew up there his whole life. No roads. I mean, there's roads, but no, the only way to get there is by plane or boat. And he has done 10,000 miles on foot in Alaska in the wilderness, off trail. Wow. On foot. Yeah, it's uh, the Cusco, Cusco Quim River. And uh, yep. he was just saying some of the thing, same things you were just saying, how wonderful the people are and just how, yeah, the culture, how growing up, he, he mentioned ha ha eating moose every day of his life, every meal of his life in some form or fashion. <laughs> and it's just like, 
I'm sure you got a lot of moose out there. Yeah, man. It's the same way up there. Yeah, in the interior, man. It's a lot of moose and a lot of salmon. Salmon is like the main currency and like uh, as far as like food and commodities and stuff. Uh, and, you know, salmon, salmon strips, canned salmon, uh, like jarred salmon. Um, yeah, they use salmon to uh, to feed their dog teams, which they still use uh, to go run like trap lines um, in the winter. And yeah, it's 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 very uh, very awesome and wild. And uh, yeah, you know they have their problems like anywhere else, but um, they I think uh, generally speaking, they love love the way they live. What was your welcome? to Alaska moment or Yukon or <laughs> British Columbia. I don't know if the, I don't think it starts there. It's just North of Britain, but well, what's your welcome to Yukon or Alaska moment? Great question. Uh, definitely the welcome to Alaska moment, I think for me was, uh, and actually we were in the Yukon at this point, uh, still in Canada and we had just left, uh, it was maybe day four or day five. We had just left uh, Lake Labarge, which is kind of a famous or infamous, uh, lake up there that, uh, the poet Robert service wrote about. And, um, we just left Lake Labarge and we were coming around a corner and uh, there was, we were like playing some music on a Bluetooth speaker, just kind of burning the day, paddling. And uh, as we rounded a corner, I like saw some movement, some movement on the right shore and like turned off the speaker and this massive uh, like blonde grizzly bear um, was like just kind of slowly sauntering along the bank. And we just kind of floated and watched it for a little bit. And he kind of took notice of us and then just slowly like went into the the shrubs and like the willows on the bank and just kind of disappeared. And we're like, ah, that was awesome. And then around still kind of high on that, like around the next corner we go, the very next corner we round the bend and there's like a little meadow with some woods behind it right on the river. And there's three massive wolves, uh, like all white gray wolves with like some red tint down their back. And they're like just hanging out, messing around in the meadow. And we're like slow, silently floating around the corner in our canoe. And they, they see us or hear us. And two of them like skirt back into the woods, kind of like the grizzly, like retreating. And then one of them just like, slowly like puts his chest up and slowly walks down paw by paw to the river's edge. And we're probably like, I don't know, 25 feet from him in the middle of the channel of the river. And he's on the shore and we're just like eyeing each other up. And as we go around this bend, he watches us and his like head turns as we float away. And we're watching him just silently like, holy cow, like that, this is, we are definitely in it, man. Like we are, we are in it. I think uh, after that, we uh, we actually took a took a pull of some whiskey that we had left over from uh, from Whitehorse as as like a celebration. We're like, all right, cheers. We are in it now, man. We're in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's freaking awesome, man. That's so cool. Um, gosh, you, you, the Mississippi you did solo, hundred days, over hundred days, and this one not a short adventure by any means, seventy days or one hundred three days, seventy days. Two people. So you, you had Jackson with you. What was it like getting used to a partner in the same vessel as you? It was definitely different. It was definitely different. Um, and I, that was one of the challenges I was like, not challenges, but aspects that I was curious about going into it as well. Yeah, because that's a totally different ballgame, um, having two people or a group of people uh, rather than just yourself. Um, but it worked out amazingly uh jackson and i were like best friends in high school uh are real good friends so we, we kind of grew up together and we'd done a bunch of trips together uh, uh all kinds of trips together so we knew and we were comfortable with each other and knew each other well and knew we, how we we both camped so we knew we had like similar styles and um it worked out great there was a few times uh you know a, a few instances where we were uh not necessarily at each other, but I, I think I probably pissed him off more than he bothered me. But uh, I was like sleeping in for a while. You know, our communication wasn't clear on when we were uh, starting the days for, for a stretch. And so I was probably sleeping in longer than he liked. And uh, so that was a little, um, 
you know, a little stress. And then I was just talking with him the other day about the trip and he mentioned that he had a watch uh, and I didn't even think about it uh, since the trip until he brought it up and he was saying like, Oh, uh, you know, you were pissed off at me about this. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even think about it. Uh, but he had a watch and it would beep every hour. And I was, uh, you know, kind of in the Zen mode of the wilderness, like no time. It's 24 hours sunlight up there. There's no reason, you know, you could paddle at 3 AM, which we often did because it was, uh, less, less windy. Um, so he had a watch, it would beep every hour. And eventually the, uh, the watch broke, uh, ironically, as he was trying to turn the beep off, because I was complaining to him about the beep, the watch broke. And, uh, it was funny because he said that was like a pivotal moment for him. It was like, oh crap, like every, uh, everything that I have to hold on to as far as time and like holding on to a normal structure is now gone. And he said after that, it was like, great. Cause he fully got engulfed into the woods. But, uh, that was another little tension thing. But other than that, no, man, it was, it was great. We, uh, we were all on the same page and we still are best friends, really good buddies. And, uh, yeah, hope there's more to come. It sounds like, sounds like you were right about the watch too. He was able to enjoy it a little more, really immerse himself. That is, that is probably one of the coolest aspects about this trip is the ability to immerse yourself completely for 70 days. Like with the Mississippi, you could, I'm sure you had service a lot of the time, or at least the ability to stop at a lot of towns. There was a lot more boat traffic. This feels like you have no other choice but to disconnect for a large majority of this adventure. Was that true? Yes, absolutely, man. Yeah. And, and it was awesome in that aspect. Totally. Uh, you know, there's something, there's something to be said for, uh, like the short trips are amazing, you know, weekend trips, uh, week trips, whenever I can do them, I do. Uh, but there's something to be said for those longer trips where, you know, it takes maybe four or five days to get into the zone and then you, you're finally engulfed in, on some of the shorter trips, then, you know, you're right, right back to it. And, and you're already looking, you're like, Oh, okay. In a couple of days we have to hike out here or whatever it may be. But yeah, man, on a 70 day trip, you were living every day, uh, just, you know, making, making it to the next camp spot, uh, trying to find water, thinking about the food you're going to make and eat, uh, just living, living, with the river really and, and, uh, living in the bush, man, it was, it was great. And yeah, we had one, uh, we had one garment in reach with us. So, uh, if we had like clear skies, we could send out uh, occasional text messages, um, no, no voice calls, but we did have that communication line. So we sent out text messages occasionally, but, uh, other than that, yeah, it was just the two of us and, uh, in the interior of Alaska and whoever we uh, happen to run into. Speaking of which, any strange encounters or things still unexplained or just something that, uh, that you find really interesting, a story about an encounter? You know, not strange wise. I don't think lots of amazing, really good encounters. Two of them that, well, I guess one's strange one. This, I, I guess I count this one as strange. Uh, we were paddling one day and, uh, as we've mentioned in the middle of nowhere, so you don't hear boats that often. And we heard a boat off in the distance, kind of like beelining it right towards us. And as it got closer, sure enough, yeah, it was coming right towards us. And we're like, how, oh, what the hell is going on? You know? Um, and it pulls up next to us and it's this guy who, who uh, his name's Steven and his wife and uh, their, like his wife's friend. And they were just out for a cruise there from uh, the village, uh, the, the next village that we were going to. And, you know, they stopped up, pulled up and we're like, hey, you guys look like you need a beer. And uh, of course, we weren't going to turn that down. So we linked up with them and uh, hung out for, you know, a few hours just talking on their boat and, and having a couple beers. Um, and so after we, we were hanging out with them for a while, they're like, all right, well, uh, it's only like five or six miles down to town. So why don't you just bring your stuff in our boat and we're going there anyway. So we'll just take you down to town. And that was the only time that we had, uh, like thought about 
you know, hitching a ride are really the only availability we had too, as far as versus paddling every single mile. But we're like, yeah, let's do it. So we load our stuff in the boat and he starts bombing it. Uh, and it's a big river, lots of sandbars and the sandbars are always moving in location with the currents and the, uh, the flows. And sure enough, he's bombing it. It's kind of like dusky out. It's 24 hours sunlight, but there's like a few hours where it's kind of just like a setting sun. And, uh, Sure enough, there's like a sandbar pops up in the middle of the river right uh, in front of us. And me and Jackson are both like, sandbar! And we slam into it uh, going really fast. Uh, He basically beaches the whole boat. Uh, The canoe flies out of the bow of the boat. Uh, Everyone was fine. Like our gear was slammed, but everybody was fine. And we spent the next uh, two hours like hopped out of the boat trying to, uh, you know, like shimmy and shake the boat off of the sandbar, like digging underneath it to get air and water underneath it. Um, I think eventually what we did was we had a few logs that we like put underneath it and got it rolling a little bit. Um, but it was, it was bad. And, uh, then as we were like leaving, Stephen was like, all right, like, all right, we got the boat back in, uh, you know, hop back in and let's go. And he looked over at his wife and his wife just gave him like, you know, you know, the look, if you have a significant other where it's like, no, like we're, we're not taking these two boys any farther. Uh, so we ended up just like realizing it and we're like, ah, we'll just stay here. So we, we ended up sleeping on this like sand mud bar, uh, as they went back and went to town. But, uh, it was, it was a funny story. And, uh, they ended up helping us out when we went into town the next day, getting some resupplies and stuff anyway. So it, it all worked out, but as that was pretty funny. Golly. The things you can't plan for, you know, Yeah, <laughs> moving exactly. sandbars. Holy cow. That is, uh, yeah, that is interesting. That, that's one of my favorite things about these big adventures is just the unexpected encounters like that and the unexpected problems really. Um, w- w- speaking of that, what was uh, maybe, something that was became really important with this adventure or something that uh you kind of maybe underplanned for i think uh a couple things but water was it seems weird and in retrospect i've learned uh more and would do things differently but uh it seems weird being in a river and being worried about water but uh it's like a really big muddy uh, silty river. So whenever we could, we were looking for fresh water, which was basically like creeks and little tributaries or different rivers that, uh, would pour into the Yukon. And that's where we would refill our water. Um, and it was always, not always, but there were stretches where it was tough to find good water sources. And there was times where we were like, drinking out of pretty gnarly, uh, like filtering out of pretty gnarly puddles on sandbars that were basically like rain puddles and like, uh, you know, birds have been hanging out in and stuff. It was not great. Um, so that was, that was a challenge in retrospect, I would have figured out how to settle water, um, a lot better. We did a little bit of that, but not as much as we should have. Um, so the water got to be a struggle sometimes and we were like fighting, uh, there was times where we were fighting, you know, not quite having adequate water supplies, which, yeah, again, is kind of stupid, but uh, that's the truth. And um, what else? I think that's the big one as far as that. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. But also kind of scary, you know, like, oh, gosh, water. <laughs> yeah. Having to worry about it. <laughs> it's like being at the ocean, you know, it's 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 torture. All this exactly. water, nothing to drink. Same thing, exactly. Wow. So, so, how did you guys, uh, with planning and with you know, I saw you the buckets of food and buckets of supplies. Do you feel like you had what you need, or was was there something else you 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 wish you would have brought? Ah, uh, you know, I think we were pretty set. To be honest, uh, we had more food than we needed. Um, Part of that was probably because we were supplemented all the time by fresh salmon that people would give us. Anytime we'd run into somebody, basically, they'd hook us up uh, or like, you know, yeah, give us a jar of salmon or oftentimes like we'd run into a fisherman and they'd just give us like a whole fish, just throw us, throw us fish in the, in the canoe and then we'd, uh, you know, flay it up and, and throw it on the, uh, on the fire on the grill that night. Um, but 
yeah, we had plenty of food. Uh, there was stuff that we had from the start, I think, that we still had 70 days later, which is probably bad packing because that means we never wanted to eat it. Um, it just sat at the bottom of the barrel the whole time. So we had plenty of food. Uh, one thing that came really in handy, uh, which we weren't sure was going to at the beginning, was uh, bug tarp. I have like a, it's a Eureka, just uh some people call it like a tundra tarp or a bug shelter, basically. It's just a tarp that has nets that hangs off the side that go to the ground. And there was times in the beginning of the trip, we thought we weren't even going to be using it. Like the first 15, 20 days, there was no bugs. And then uh, later on in the trip, there was times where the mosquitoes were just like terrible, terrible, uh, the worst mosquitoes I've experienced. And uh, so that bug tarp, was massive because we'd set it up and we'd hang out uh, under there in the evenings and, uh, you know, make dinner and uh, be able to hang out and chill without uh, just being absolutely crushed by mosquitoes on every inch of your body. <laughs> you know, the, the, the joke is Alaska's state bird is the mosquito. I'm sure a thousand people told you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I the things confirm. are enormous. Holy cow. Well, well, let me uh, let me ask this. Um, what would you say, thinking back on the adventure, What is there a memory that brings, you know, maybe a, a pretty big smile to your face or something that happened, a story or a day or a sunset, anything that uh, can kind of make us all a little jealous? Great questions, man. Um, I There's a bunch of them, man, a bunch. But I think the ones that really come out to mind or really come to mind are uh, there's one day in the Yukon Flats, uh, it just kind of like encompassed the whole experience, particularly of the Yukon. Uh, we're in the Yukon flats and um, there's these massive things called fish wheels that a lot of the natives use uh, to catch their allotment of salmon uh, to provide for their family and village for the, for the season. And it's like this massive, amazing structure. It's just a big wheel. It's like a miniature Ferris wheel kind of that sits in the water and uh, it, rotates with the current the current pushes it and uh, it's all handmade with like saplings that they bend into place and then put netting on and the salmon swimming upstream gets scooped up by this uh fish wheel and then funneled into a uh into like a holding box and these things are all over the yukon um uh, all over and so we were paddling kind of close to one one time and people are like territorial of them because that's how they provide for their family. You know, that's like their hunting and fishing ground. So, you know, you don't like people snooping around your, your fish wheel. And we were like paddling next to one, just like awe inspired by it kind of. And, uh, some dude walks out on the peninsula and he's like, Hey, you guys like come over here. So we paddle over and, and talk to him. His name's Bruce. And he's got like, uh, he's wearing, uh, socks. Uh, keep in mind is like all, He's got like a base camp set up, uh, but all built with logs and tarps. And uh, and he's in socks that are just like all dirty, uh, like a button down shirt and jeans. And he's got like a massive rifle uh, on one side and a shotgun on the other side. And he's like, hey, come on up here. And we, we walk up and basically it was Bruce and his uh, his nephew Gino. Gino was the guy running the fish camp. And it was their fish camp for the season where they would uh, harvest all their fish. And it's basically just like an outpost. Uh, any hunters or, or something might know, like they people still say deer camp is just like where you go to hunt deer. So this is their fish camp. And they took us in and, uh, and we hung out with them, I think for two days at fish camp and watched them, you know, catch all the salmon. Uh, there was like a they had like a smoking shelter going on where there was probably like, I don't even know, 60 or 70, maybe 100 salmon uh, hanging from logs, being slow smoked. Um, you know, all the different cuts and the eggs laid out uh, over the coals, um, like the carcasses hanging and drying to be fed to the dog teams. And just like doing that whole process with them. And like the, the fish wheel was like probably, I don't know, maybe... A, 10 or 15 yards out into the current from the bank. And they had these two uh, logs that you had to walk on real crickety uh, going in the fast current out to the fish wheel. And like we were running back and forth with the kids that were running around camp, uh, 
throwing them off and like uh, as they would like swim in the river and running back to the fish wheel and catching fish. And yeah, that whole experience was was really just awesome uh, to see that that life. And uh, yeah, they gave us a bunch of <clears throat> moose ribs that we had for like the next three nights. And uh, yeah, it was just a really awesome experience to be welcomed into fish camp like that and uh, and and kind of see how things went down in their their way of life. Wow. Another experience you can't plan for, you know? You got to let the framework of the adventure bring these things about. Uh, your favorite, totally. I tell people all the time, your favorite memories from the trip you're about to go on, you have no idea what they are yet. It's not going to be what you think it is. It's going to be stuff like fish camp with a fish wheel that you didn't even know existed before this. So. Exactly, 100%. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so as you got closer, you talked about the three different styles of the river, and I know we're almost out of time, but uh, if you've got a little time, I'd love to ask a few yeah, more absolutely. questions. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. What was going through your mind, or what was the river like as you started getting closer to the Bering Sea, and then where was your finish line, technically? Yeah, so, so the finish line is a little village of Imanic, uh, which sits right at the mouth of the Yukon where it meets the Bering Sea. Uh, it's a little fishing village. They have like a, one of the only like processing plants uh, in the area. Um, where they process local fishermen's salmon and, uh, you know, ship it off for, for fresh Alaskan salmon. So they have like a little industry there. Um, small village though, maybe, I don't know, a few thousand people probably. And so that's the ending point. That's where we had a little, uh, bush plane out of, um, to fly back towards, there was a few stops along the way, but to fly back towards Whitehorse, um, and or actually towards Anchorage is where we went. Um, so that was the ending point, but the actual ending point was about 20 miles past Emonic where the uh, where the Yukon actually like dumps out into the Bering Sea. It's, it's a little bit past uh, the village. So we ended there and we uh, arranged with actually the mayor of Emonic to meet us and uh, pick us up in his motorboat uh, the next day once we reached the Bering Sea and he drove us back upstream uh, 20 miles uh, to Imanic or however far it was, I forget, I think it's 20 miles, back to uh, Imanic. Um, that's where we flew out of. So that's kind of how it ended. But as we were winding down, uh, it was getting towards August and uh, fall was kind of setting in up north there, which is wild. But uh were ways up there and so it was cold and there had been like two weeks or more of uh just straight wind and rain um towards the end of the trip where we never saw the sun and that was tough uh so like we were never you know there's days or you know week stretches where we were never really dry like you put your rain gear on and it was already soaked through from the day before and it was just kind of wet and soppy and it just kind of was what it was and it was cold and uh the river was really big at that point and wide and when it was windy and cold and rainy those waves uh on the river would pick up and so those last couple of weeks were tough man uh we fought through it we had a great time still but uh they were tough and the finish line was definitely on our minds i don't think we can we would lie about that <laughs> that 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 sounds pretty rough especially if I'm not mistaken, you're you're kind of out of probably the real mountainous, pretty areas. Maybe not, but the river's so big, so wide. Yeah, it probably was big. difficult to be like. And in, in raining, you couldn't see anything anyway. Yeah, exactly. Not really anywhere to like. Not many good places to take shelter and and get out of uh, get out of the rain. So yeah, it wasn't uh, wasn't ideal. But eventually, there it eventually uh, like the last two days it the sun came out and it was like a perfect ending to the trip uh, with like some warmer weather and we were able to dry stuff out. And uh, yeah, it, it was, it was a great way to end it. Wow. So, so, so looking back, you know, nearly four years now will be, what would you say has been just one of the major lessons you've learned from this experience that you didn't know after the Mississippi trip? That I didn't know after the Mississippi. A lot of the Mississippi things I learned were reinforced, I would say. Okay. Like, um, like just being open to new people and, you know, 
like everybody has a story. If you just like meet a random person and talk with them, they're probably interesting. They probably have a story, no matter who they are, even if they don't think it's a good story, it probably is. Um, and so that was reinforced, but that was different than the Mississippi, my general takeaway. A lot of it has to do with what we've talked about, which is like the native culture out there. Uh, I had no idea, you know, the like depth of it and how it all worked and, uh, how big of a population, uh, the native culture is up in Alaska, especially in the interior, but all over and like how close they still live to the land and just their relationship uh, with the state, with the country, uh, with like their land, with uh, the idea of wilderness. All that's amazing, man. It was it was really cool and also interesting. Just like you would not think, uh, you know, talking to you from outside of Chicago here today that there's Americans that, you know, vote for the president just like you and I who live the way they do without, you know, a lot of them without plumbing and uh, oftentimes not proper heat and like uh, some pretty, pretty beat down environments, shacks and stuff living off of salmon and moose, but they do. And, uh, and yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, (laughs) Chicago specifically, think about some of the extreme lifestyles there in contrast to what you just described, it's pretty amazing the range of, of lifestyles and people in, in one country, you know? It's, Absolutely. It's wild. Yeah, yeah, man. It, really it is, is wild. Well, gosh, Will, this is awesome. Um, absolutely awesome. And, and since then, tell us about, like, what you've gotten into now. I know you're kind of using your radio skills again in the form of podcast. And if I'm not mistaken, you're trying to take other people on adventures now, too. Yeah, absolutely, man. So obviously, the it, all that stuff is still in my blood. I uh, go. I'm a big angler, so I love going fishing all the time, and I love getting out. Uh, I get out into the woods and rivers weekly here. Um, but I also host, uh, like you said, the uh, Buffalo Roamer podcast, which is a very similar uh, similar vein uh, to to what you got going with the Adventure Sports podcast. So if people are interested in this story or like listening to your show, I'm sure you'll love the Buffalo Roamer podcast as well. Uh, You can find that anywhere. uh, Podcasts are out, Spotify, iTunes, buffaloroamer.com. So yeah, I've really been enjoying doing that. It's been really fun talking with people, like you said, using the radio. And I just like hearing people's stories. So that's been really cool. And and I've gotten really good feedback from that. And I'm looking forward to having you on, Mason. And talking to you too. Um, so yeah, go subscribe to the Buffalo Roamer podcast and check us out, uh, if you can. And then buffaloroamer.com is the website. Uh, and like you said, yeah, trying to take people out or I am taking people out into the woods. We are going up to the Yukon, uh, this summer, got a small group, uh, to do an eight day trip up in the headwaters of the Yukon, uh, the river that we've just been talking about. So that's going to be amazing. And then, uh, have a small group as well, uh, that we're, we're going to uh, Moab in in October to paddle the Green River down in Moab. So that's going to be amazing too. If any of that stuff sounds interesting to you, check it out at buffaloroamer.com. Oh man, Will, that's awesome. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. Um, those two adventures, how many, how many folks are you trying to get out? So I'm just kind of starting it small and seeing where it goes from there. Uh, the one up to the Yukon, uh, currently we have four of us going, so it's just going to be two boats and, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's just a group of us going and I've organized it, but it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really cool. And I, I'd like to build it out, uh, as things progress. And, uh, so yeah, they're small trips. They're, uh, anywhere from, four to six people um and the goal is to to do trips all over the country and uh, to, to you know specific adventure uh locations specifically typically canoeing but also like to do some backpacking and different stuff as it grows and uh yeah basically just see where it goes it's just something that i love to do and i know how to do and a lot of people are always asking me uh you know, all my friends always ask me like, Hey, you know, hit me up when you go camping. Uh, let's do a trip together. So I figured I would just kind of 
organize a few trips that I would really love to do and see if other people would be interested in coming along. So yeah, that's what we're doing. That's awesome. Will. that's too cool. Yeah. That's, 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 that's so neat that you're, uh, using those skills to just take some people. I, I love those smaller trips. I've guided huge trips and, and small ones. And I'd have to say that size is ideal for a true intimate, intimate experience with the, uh, the landscape and for yourself too, to have a good, a better time. Cool. And I, and I assume you just, uh, take time off with, uh, the farm, tell the family, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the Yukon again. I'll be back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah, it's lucky enough that we have a pretty, uh, we have a pretty tight and, and good crew that, uh, that I work with here on the farm. So we kind of cover each other if, uh, things like this pop up. So yeah, uh, my guy, Andy will be, uh, will be, you know, taking on a little bit of my role while I'm uh, up in the Yukon, and I do the same for him when uh, when he has things going on. So it works out pretty well, dude. That's awesome. Oh man, too cool. Well, folks, check out the Buffalo Roamer. Um, similar to this show, you you talk to adventures, from what I understand. Yeah, absolutely. the The goal of the show or the the tagline is for those who seek adventure, and then it's uh, the goal is to share the people, places, and moments that make a life on the loose worth living. So yeah, just talking with people and sharing their stories and, and moments and, uh, and things they take away from, uh, doing all this stuff that, that we love doing, you know? Wow. I, I see a lot of, uh, former guests on some, some folks that I'd love to talk to as well. Holy cow. Lots of adventures, <laughs> but no, man, that's awesome. Well, shoot, dude, keep me posted with, uh, with your adventures and what you want to do there. I'm, I'm just, uh, Definitely kindred spirits here and um, always looking for just little ways to, to do things. I, I, I've been doing more adventures with friends lately, and that's been taken off because, like you said, people want to go. And these are weekend things. And sure. so it's becoming like a thing where we send out an invite or send out a you know an overview of the trip and like 20 people go. And it's it's been really that's cool. That's awesome, but, dude. Uh, it's not – we're looking to do one or probably one big trip a year where it takes travel, but the rest are Southeast base where we can get there in a few hours. Dude, that's most. great. But especially with the fam. That's why, you know, I'm like, I can't do yeah. one trip a year. You know, I got to do something right. every few, a month, month or two. So just got to get that, scratch that itch. That's great, man. Perfect. Will. Well, I, I will talk to you soon. Thanks for making this happen. This was, this was really cool. Yeah, you bet, man. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we'll stay in touch. Take care and uh, best of luck uh, with the show and making everything happen. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, go have uh, fun with the pigs and the soybeans. I'll talk <laughs> oh, to you I soon. <laughs> all right, man. <laughs> See you, Mason. See ya. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.